way just a little bit. This way? This way? There you go. There you go. All right. Well, we welcome everyone that's here in the congregation and those that are going to be jumping on Facebook Live momentarily. And what I'm going to do tonight, this is actually Mind Brain Connections, number 127. And I'm going to go back and reiterate just a little bit of what we had last week, and then we're going to go on and finish up what I did not have time to finish up last week. And what I'm looking at here, and I just entitled this message, <clears throat> The Evolution of Consciousness, the evolution, our evolving consciousness, our evolving consciousness, according to the book of Genesis. Now, when we look at the book of Genesis, when we see, for example, that God created the earth, many times we just think of the creation of the earth out there. But how many know our feminine principle and our bodies constitute earth as well? And so that's looking at it in an allegorical sense, not just saying that, you know, he created an earth out there in creation, but we also constitute earth in our feminine principle and also in our physical bodies. And then the scripture also states that he separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters were which, which were above. And what I see that as allegorically is the quickened word versus the letter of the word. The quickened word versus just literalism, which is the letter of the word or, or legalism and so forth. And then the birds, it talks about, yeah, there is Mary. I told you she'd be waltzing in. <laughs> then there is the air where the birds fly. Birds fly in the air, right? Well, you can read in the scripture where it talks about the fowl, which is foul thinking lower thinking, but then the eagles would represent what? It would represent the higher thoughts that we have, soaring in the heavenlies. And then, of course, it talks about fire, and, of course, the five levels of consciousness that the Greeks came up with was earth, water, where we're baptized, we baptize the lower thoughts, and then air, where we take no thought, and then the fire. And the fire also can be allegorically associated with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because the sun is an energy, so is the moon, so is the stars. There's the greater light and there's the lesser light. And so what I believe that the fire represents, where the sun, moon, and stars are associated with, they represent the quickened word. They represent that word that is quickened or conceived, we could say. Another word for quickened, conceived in our virgin consciousness, in the feminine side. And so as we look at all of that, we can see that everything can be applied to us allegorically. Everything can be applied to us allegorically. Now let me just repeat a little bit of what we had last week. I told you last week that, you know, people need to reconcile scriptures that seem to be opposing one another. For example, if you read on the surface level in the Old Testament, it sounds like God's killing people. He told people, go kill the men, the women, the babies, the animals. And so God gets blamed for that. And then you have Jesus in the New Testament that is the revelation of the Father loving the babies and the little children and all mankind. So how are we going to reconcile scriptures that sound like God killed the babies, but Jesus loved the babies? How are we going to reconcile those scriptures? One word I told you last week. How many remember? The one word is allegory. 
that means so much more to me than it ever has just since I've been dealing with this mind-brain connection series. And I shared with you how that one of the reasons that I am questioning mere literalism, now I'm not saying Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah were not literal people, but I'm simply saying the reason why I am questioning mere literalism is simply because here we have two English people running around naked in a garden. Yeah. <laughs> two English people. Go figure. You'll never find an Adam and an Eve over in that part of the world. Or a John. Or a Timothy. Or a Paul. The translators changed their names for easier readability, they thought, and also because they were writing to people who were English that were going to be reading the scriptures. So I'm questioning all of this as to its mere literalism. Okay, mere literalism. I'm questioning this in the book of Genesis and elsewhere because you have these two English people running around in a garden. You've got a snake that's talking to Eve, the woman. And whether you know it or not, there's no such thing as a talking snake. And we found out what that represents since the energy within our physical body goes from the lowest energy field to the highest energy field in a serpentine motion the serpent simply represents the flesh. And it says the serpent was subtle. Well, let me tell you, your flesh can be subtle. Yes, it can. It can be very, very clever in yes. trying to dictate to you yes. and speak to you to do a certain thing or not do a certain thing. So once these two English people running around in the garden naked, they didn't know they were naked until the serpent told them, so they make a run for some fig leaves, not knowing that the fig leaves are going to shrink within a matter of days. And you see, that's what people are doing in religiosity today. They're always putting on fig leaves. Another thing that I shared with you last evening, and I see this scientifically, but I also see it allegorically, and that is A-D-A-M, Adam represents A-T-O-M. Because the atoms, A-T-O-M-S, are the center of all life. And the splitting of the atom is taking the electron out of the atom, and that multiplies life. So the atoms, A-T-O-M-S, designate our physical life, whereas Eve, or the electron, represents our mental life. I shared with you how Eden, I'm just going to give you a few things from last week. I shared with you how Eden means delight represents love, and it represents peace, represents harmony. And when we read in Genesis, it says Eden was eastward. The garden was eastward in Eden. And when you look north, we talked about this many, many times using the chart. When you look north, east is on the right side. So what is the garden? It's living out of the east, the dawning of the new day. Yes. The tribe of Judah. Yes. It's drawing out of our right side. It's casting our net or our energy to the right side and living out of the right side as opposed to living out of the left side in and of itself, where in is intellect and human reasoning and logic and so forth. And then I took you to Ezekiel 43. We read two verses, verses 2 and 4 there, where the glory of God comes from the east, it says there. Now, glory is something more than just the energy that we're clothed with, it's more than lighting up like a neon sign. Uh -huh. It could be that. 
It's more than just our countenance shining. And, of course, Jesus, when he ascended, he, he shone as the sun. That was the glory. But glory also means the view and the opinion yes. of the Father. Yes. And that comes where? From the east. It comes from the right side. So the Garden of Delight is on the right side. It's us drawing from the view and the opinion of the Father or from the mind of Christ. And then we looked at the seven days of creation, and I shared with you how creation once again depicts us. Because it's not just the earth out there that was created by God. We are earth, including our feminine principle, and also our physical body. So when you look at it that way, and you look at the seven days of creation, and how after the sixth day, on the seventh day, it says that God rested, I believe it's also talking about us experiencing rest, not only spiritually, but also physically. And when the energy fields are open and the energy is flowing and it activates the pineal, the pituitary, we then begin to experience the land flowing with milk and honey. And what is that but rest? Yes. So we have rest in our physical bodies. I am convinced tonight, folks, I am 100% convinced that salvation has to do with us spiritually, in our spirit. It has to do with the left side being joined to the right side as one. They're already one objectively, but I'm talking about subjectively joined together. I am convinced that spirit and what's going on in a feminine principle through that joining constitutes salvation. But when you're talking about salvation of the physical body, we will not experience salvation of the physical body. If there's something going on in our physical body, or maybe there's a blockage, or the energy is not flowing, because what is the energy? The spinal fluid is the chrism, it's the Christ, and it's the anointing of our body. Yes. And so once we see salvation correctly, and listen, we came here with salvation, Ephesians 1, 4, 2 Timothy 1, 9, we came here with that. We came here upright. We came here with that. We came here whole and complete. But once we could embrace religiosity and we embraced it, we forgot who we were, and it was a downward spiral experience from that time on. As Colossians 1.21 says, we were alienated, or we thought we were. We were enemies of God, or we thought we were. And where did that take place? In our mind. In our awareness. And then I took you to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm just going to read that. It says there, and I saw in the right hand. What is the right hand? It's the right side. Of him that sat on the throne. What is the throne? That's the highest part that we live out of, which is the east or which is the right side or the Christ mind. A book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, I've shared with you before how the ancients, and we know we're living epistles known and read of all men, but the ancients would call a person the book of life when they were walking with the energy flowing, fully flowing within their physical body. When the chrism, the Christ, the anointing. See, we've had the idea that the only thing that the anointing is for is for our spirit when we're anointed or when we're prophesied. Or, and it, that's good. That's well and good. It does flow there. But it's flowing also when we draw from the right side and join the left and the right together. And it's also flowing when the energy fields are open. Because listen, when the energy fields are not open, when that's not flowing properly, we're susceptible to disease and all kinds of problems. 
I mean, you can ask any chiropractor, if they're honest with you, some medical doctors will tell you. And, and remember, I shared when my niece, my great niece, was, was killed here a couple of years ago. The doctor says, you might as well unhook her from life support because her solar plexus are damaged. So damaged. See, because that's what carries the oxygen and the life to every organ of our body. I never heard a medical doctor ever use those terms, solar plexus. But they sure did. It's a very vital part. And Psalm 139 says we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't have one organ in our body that doesn't have a purpose. And when you remove one, other organs have to take that work over that that organ that was removed functions at, fu functioned at, as, if I can talk. I'm so excited I can't even stand up here and talk halfway. Then we talked, and this is a biggie right here, then we talked about the name Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. And Elohim is a plural term, and the translators, and even some of the people, the ancient people, because it was such a patriarchal society, they would not use Elohim because it's a plural, a, a, a plural term that means male and female. And we're in the likeness and the image of Elohim, we have both male and female within us. And so they just use the word God instead. Well, God, that's such an impersonal term. But when you think about Elohim being male and female, God is both male and female. And I shared with you how spirit, you know, even in the scriptures, they were so patriarchal and so against the feminine part that they said, well, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll lead and guide you into all truth. He. Do you know that spirit, Holy Spirit in us is feminine? And the chrism that flows within our physical body is feminine. It's a feminine energy is what it really is. But because they were so patriarchal and so against the feminine part and so against women, they just said God and they just said he and gave no attention whatsoever to the feminine aspect. Now, if you'll go to Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read a couple of verses here in Genesis 2. And I want to read about the splitting of the Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And listen, this is how the ancients wrote this. But you know what? They understood that it was allegorical. Just like Jesus when he spoke in parables. Why did he do that? So that those who had an ear to hear would hear and an eye to see would see. But those who didn't have an ear to hear would not. Those who didn't have an eye to see would not because he wanted them to turn within. He wanted them to hear it parabolically and spiritually. And so the way the ancients wrote this here in Genesis 2, 21 and 22, they knew they were not talking about God getting a hold of a guy, putting him to sleep, ripping out a rib and making a lady. They knew that. They knew this was not something. And you know what? We've swallowed that hook, line and sinker. Well, you know, God, he came down and he got a hold of Adam and he knocked him out and he opened him up and he jerked out a rib and he made a woman and brought the woman to him. We've heard that for many, many, all of my life I've heard that. But let me say it again. The ancients knew when they wrote this, they were like Jesus. They were writing allegorically like Jesus who was writing parabolically so that those could those that had an eye to see could see, and those that had an ear to hear could hear. And when we read this on the surface level, talk about confusion. Because we take it all literally. 
rather than allegorically. Notice what it says there. Genesis 2.21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. I wonder what he used to knock the guy out. <laughs> Sodium pentothal or what? <laughs> Maybe he had a baseball bat and he just hit him over the head. I don't know. I mean, you know what? People's minds go there when they're reading this literally. How did God do that? What did he use? So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, sewed him back up. I wonder what he used to sew him back up. Maybe a little bit of cat guts. Isn't that what some of that thread is made out of? Verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So this is what it says here. And what it's saying allegorically is simply that all life came forth from the splitting of the Adam. It all came forth from the splitting of the Adam and bringing out the electron which then multiplies life. It wasn't a man that he knocked out. <laughs> and jerked out a rib and made a woman and brought it to the man to see what he would think about. And as I said, the sad fact is we've heard this all of our lives. Yes. We've heard it all of our lives. I mean, if you were running around in a jungle naked, don't you think you'd know? I would hope so. Or do you think you have to wait till a talking snake, which there is not such a thing, comes and tells you? So what, what have we found out so far? We have found out that the A-T-O-M speaks of the physical aspect of us. The E, the electron, speaks of the mental part of us. And so what you're seeing here is the evolution of mankind, specifically the evolution in consciousness. And you no longer have just a physical process but you have here a physical process from the A-T-O-M and a mental process from the E-L-E-C-T-R-O-N, the electron. You have the two aspects. And then later on, when you begin to think, a struggle begins. A struggle, a fight ensues. And that's Cain and Abel that we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> now, look, if you will, in Genesis 3 and verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now I've already stated that this word subtle means clever. So if you would look at the picture of a spine which resembles a serpent, I'd have a picture of a spine, it resembles, it's not totally straight, it resembles a serpent. And this is why, and when the energy flows, it goes up in a serpentine motion. And so this is why that the serpent represents the flesh. And the flesh can be very clever, it can be very subtle when it begins to talk to you. So the woman, our left side, is tempted. When it's tempted, it's drawn away of its own lust, James says. And that has to do with the physical part or has to do with the flesh. And of course, we know that she was allegorically tempted to partake of good and evil. Why? Because it says there in chapter 3 that when, she, in verse 6, when she saw that the tree, her eyes, was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's her flesh talking. 
That's her flesh talking. And so there was a mixture when she partook of the tree of good and evil. There was a mixture of good and evil which brought confusion. Anytime you have a mixture of a little bit of good and a little bit of bad, what have you got? You've got confusion. It's just like the Tower of Babel. Do you know the tower means a pulpit there? Yes. We have a lot of confusion from behind yes. the pulpit yes. today. A lot of legalism talk. Yes. A lot of religiosity is talk. Yes. But what happened? They were trying to get to heaven. Didn't know they already were in heaven. <laughs> but they were trying to get to heaven through building this tower. Yes. And so the languages were then what? They were confused. Because there was a mixture of language. Yes. And so any time we're mixing a little bit of good, external good, with evil, all we're going to come up with is a bunch of confusion. Yes. And you'll see that all the way through the Word of God. So to partake of the left side in and of itself, because remember last week I told you the left side in and of itself is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we need to reconcile the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with the tree of life. And as we reconcile the two together... And we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the emotions of sons of God coming into the daughters of men. What was that? That was trying to bring the emotions in and of themselves into the spiritual aspect. And all that it brought forth was a bunch of rules and regulations and legalism, religiosity. That's all that giant, it brought forth giant doctrines. And, of course, we're told in Hebrews chapter 6 to leave the principles of the doctrines of Christ, those lower things, and move on to the tree of life. That's really what it's saying. Now, in Genesis 2.17, look what it says here in Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, right here is when you and I must go into meditation. When we are tempted by good and evil, by mixture, intellect, reasoning, human reasoning, or logic, that is when we need to go into meditation and silence ourselves and get direction from Holy Spirit, get direction from our Christ mind. Listen to the right side. And the only way to do that is to get quiet. If you're busy all the time, you're never going to hear. If you're talking all the time and jabbing away all the time, you're never going to hear. There has to be time for silence and to get quiet in the presence of the Lord. I mean, listen, I don't care how smart a person is. I don't care how many degrees he could be called Dr. Fahrenheit. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Unless he learns to live from the right side, he'll never, ever hear from the Spirit of God. He's got to draw from the east. He's got to draw from the right side. Now, Look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. And listen to this. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? What is being said here is, I didn't tell you that there was anything wrong with you. You only thought it. You only thought it. I never told you you're guilty. Who told you that you're naked? Who told you that you were suffering? Now, I'm convinced... That Father wants us to know who told us that crap. Sorry. (laughs) He wants us to know who told us that stuff. And once we can come to the understanding, as I've already quoted Colossians 1.21, we were alienated and enemies of God in our mind. Which mind? Well, I don't believe we have two minds. It just happens to use those words there 
I wish they'd have said you're alienated and enemies of God in your lower thinking. Because yeah. there's only one mind, and that's right. the mind of Christ. So God never, ever did tell us that we were unworthy. He told us we were always holy, always righteous. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about the fact that we were brought here upright. We came up with a lot of inventions and a lot of schemes, but we were brought here upright. We, never, we, we were brought here saved. I know that upsets a lot of religious people. But we didn't need to walk the green mile and come to an altar and confess Jesus as saved, and all of a sudden he's going to jump on the inside of us somehow. That wasn't needed. That wasn't necessary. Now, it happened, you know, to all of us. I'm sure every one of us came in that way, and don't feel guilty about that. That's just where we were at the time. And thank God he receives us wherever we're at. But what this tells us is that what we thought was evil, God never said was evil. And once we come to the understanding of that, because we now know that sin is simply what? Mistaken identity. Now let me give you something about sin in the Old Testament. Old Testament sin was the name of the moon god of the Ur of the Chaldees. And the moon, listen, in ancient Eastern mysticism means emotions. And what sin is, is when you're living in your emotional aspect and you are substituting the emotional aspect, thinking that that's real when it's not, instead of living out of your true identity and your real and your only identity. And so sin in the New Testament then primarily, sin singular as you know, is simply mistaken identity. And sins, plural, is just simply the symptoms of mistaken identity. The stuff that people do because they have no clue as to who they are in Christ or in God. Now, look at Genesis 1, verse 14. We're jumping around a little bit here, but I want us to just go here and see this. Didn't read these last week. Genesis 1, 14, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now, nearly all of Western evangelical Christianity is 100% against, 100% totally against astronomy. And yet you can read it in Job, you can read it here, that they're for signs and for seasons and so forth. As a matter of fact, I could go through the book of Genesis and show you how the sun, the moon, the stars, the seven days of creation, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Jacob, Noah, all of them speak allegorically of evolving consciousness. Everyone, because it's all allegorical. And like I said when I started, when you see a scripture that read on the surface level seems like God killed, God is blamed for killing, I'm 100% convinced now that we need to look at those verses allegorically. We need to look at them allegorically. God was not a killer. He was always love. He was always light. Never hate. Never darkness. He never had anything to do with offering animal sacrifices. You can read that in John chapter 117, where grace was of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the law was of Moses. 
Moses gave them. In fact, there are many scriptures that say, in fact, there's one in Jeremiah 7 that says, I never spoke to the forefathers about killing animals. And David, after he was repentant concerning his sin with Bathsheba, he said, God, I would offer you an animal sacrifice, but I know you don't want it. You want a contrite heart and a broken spirit. And that's what he gave him because he knew, even though he was in the midst of all of the bloodshed and the animal sacrifices, he said, God, I know you don't want this. You want a broken heart. You want a contrite spirit. And so we must look at these things allegorically. And as we do, well, listen, the scriptures will make wonderful spiritual sense to us. You wonder why people are leaving churches today? You wonder why they're throwing out their Bibles and it makes no sense? You wonder why they're putting Facebook posts on about how the scriptures say this, that, and the other, and it's all wrong? Because they're looking at it literally. It was never, this Bible is a spiritual book. Like I said before, if you want a history book, go to the library. This is a spiritual book. It's a parabolic book. It is an allegorical book. It's all written in sign and symbol from Genesis to the book of Revelation. So, we've seen how Adam, A-T-O-M, is the center of all life and was split and then how the electron which was taken out, representing Eve, as it says in your scriptures, has to do with the mental aspect. Now we come to the drawing of either the left side or the right side, where we see what Adam and the woman produced. And you see, you and I produce either a Cain or an Abel. Depending on whether we draw from the right side or the left side. Now, let me give you some definition. I gave you this last week, but let me repeat it. It's worth repeating. Cain means tiller of the soil. Your lower thoughts come out of the dust realm, come out of the ground. It's what you dig up out of your left side in and of itself. That's Cain. It's your own ideas as opposed to the thoughts and the opinions of the Father that you get from the right side, the east, or the mind of Christ. Now listen to this. Abel, on the other hand, means the keeper of the sheep. What are sheep? Divine thoughts. They're allegorical of divine thoughts. And listen, who was the first one to get to see the Christ child after he was born? And I know it was a couple years after he was born. It was the shepherds. Why? They were watching the sheep. They were keeping their thoughts, and as a result of them keeping their divine thoughts, they were the ones that were able to see the star in the east. Okay. So we started with the atom. That is so good. We saw that the splitting of the atom was bringing the electron out, and atom is the center of everything that's living. And an electron is what multiplies that life. And so as we see that represents the physical aspect of our being and also the electron, the the mental aspect of our being, then we have to make the choice, are we going to produce a cane from the left side? Are our thoughts going to come out of what we dig up out of the dust realm? That's what his name meant. Tiller of the ground, the dust realm. Or are we going to produce the thoughts or yield or cast our net or energy to the right side and bring forth the thoughts that represent the sheep 
the divine thoughts. Are we going to be keepers of the divine thought? I want to be a keeper of my divine right side of the east. Right? And I know you do. Now, look at Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, talking about Cain and Abel now. It says, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain, this is Cain now, the tiller of the ground, brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. In other words, Cain brought that which he dug up out of his left side, out of himself, actually. Yeah. His yeah. own thoughts, his own ideas. Yeah. It was a dust realm offering, yeah. rather than a heavenly offering from the right side. Yeah. Cain brought what he dug up from the ground, from the soil, from the dust realm. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, verse 2, it says Cain was a tiller of the ground. So you can see the meaning of his name there. And then if you look in verse 4, Abel, it says, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings, the first fruit, firstlings of his flock. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, why did the Lord have respect unto Abel's offering? Because it came from the right side. He was a keeper of the sheep. He was a keeper of the divine thoughts. And look at what Abel brought there. It says the firstlings. You can say first fruit or the first of his flock. Now, what's so important about that? He brought a tithe. He brought a first fruit. He brought a first fruit. He brought a tithe. And we've said this all the way through this series that to take no thought, we have to give our tithe. The 10% that they say we use of, the, of our brain or the left side. We can't live by our brain, folks. That's how corporations make decisions. And they have a chart, and they put the good things on one side and the bad results on the other side, and they weigh them out and they decide. That's what good and evil is, weighing out. That's a tree of the knowledge, good and evil I got this great offer, this job offer. So I'm going to make a, a flow chart, and I'm going to put what are the benefits of taking the job or what would be the things that would not be so good about taking this job. See, and that's what Cain did, and that's what corporations do today. But we're not doing that. So what is, what is, let me read this again in verse 4. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings, the first fruit, of his flock, and the Lord had respected Abel and unto his offering. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know we looked at this one last week, but let's hit it again. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 and 46. And let's see what this is really talking about. When we come to that which is of God, what we must yield, what we must sacrifice, and you know what? It gets to be so normal, it's not a sacrifice. No, it's not. It's a pleasure to draw from the right side. But it's called in Scripture sacrifice. It's that which we yield. It is that which is of ourselves or what we would normally think we maybe should do or not do. That's it. And we offer that. No, we have to take no thought of that and allow that to be sacrificed or yielded. Right. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, 46. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now listen to verse 46. This is what I want us to get. Verse 46 is, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. In other words, the first thing that came was the natural, 
before the spiritual, what did Abel sacrifice? What did he yield? The natural. The natural. That's what he yielded, and that's what we must. And that is why that Abel gave the first of those things that would have come out of his lower thinking. And he sacrificed that like the tithe, the first fruit, or the first part of himself. By taking no thought. And by drawing out of the divine thoughts, the Christ mind on the right side. And you see, this goes all the way through scripture. In Exodus, the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed. And that points to the fact that we must, and you could use the word kill. I don't like crucify, you know, because I don't believe we, we have to die to self because our self is Christ. But there is a killing, a form of death. We could say that there is a form of death that has to do with us giving up or yielding That's it. the left side. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Egyptians in Exodus here, the firstborn of the, the firstborn, okay, of the Egyptians were killed, point to the points to the lower realm of the flesh being yielded, so that the second part, which is the spiritual part, can live. Wow. And that's what that's talking about. But you see, the lower in and of itself cannot live. It cannot live together. Cain and Abel cannot live together. Darkness and light cannot comprehend. The darkness cannot comprehend the light. So when you give your 10%, and it has nothing to do with money in your billfold or your purse, has nothing to do with that whatsoever, but it has to do with the 10% that we, they say that we use of our brain, of our left side. So when you give your mere intellect and when you give your human reasoning and when you give your, your, your natural logic and you begin to draw from the right, from the east, what happens, it's then multiplied. You then have multiplied into you spiritual knowledge, Amen. spiritual reasoning, Amen. spiritual logic, spiritual understanding, the thoughts, the glory of God, the view and the opinion of the Father. Now, look at chapter 4, verse 3. It says of Cain here that in the process of time, now remember when we talked about living in the end, collapsing time, right? This is what Cain is associated with, time. Seed, time, and harvest. Wow. Remember we talked about alleviating the time, that we're coming into a time where the moment we speak, and believe and know it's not going to be seed, time, and harvest. It's going to be suddenness, immediate manifestation. Amen. So Cain, because he was of the earth realm, what did he do? He was involved in time. He didn't collapse time. Well, there you go. He was a tiller of the ground. So the earth realm and time were involved where Cain's offering was concerned. But now listen, Abel was from the heavenly realm. Oh. Well, Cain could have been too. He just yes. didn't take advantage of it. Yes. But you see, Abel was a, he was the keeper of the sheep or the higher thoughts. He was of the heavenly realm. And what did he do? He collapsed time. He collapsed time. Wow. Now, we have people today. I have seen people come in when I pastored in Fort Wayne and come into this place. And oh, they were so ecstatic about what was being shared and so excited about the word. And you never saw him again. What happened? Cain killed Abel. Oh! 
Listen, you and I are always going to have your left side. Yes. You're never going to get rid of the left side. Yes. Because the left side is going to be there throughout your life as a reminder that you must draw from the right side. Listen, even Jesus had a left side. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was tempted, it says, of the devil. But do you know what it really says in the Greek? He was tempted by himself. Yeah. Yeah. He was tempted by the thoughts that try to get through the left side. Amen. Not a sin to be tempted. No. It's when we yield to the temptation, and we continue to draw from that left side and do what those lower thoughts tell us to do yeah. or not to do. So you all be encouraged. You're always going to have the left side. Yeah. Always going to have the left side as a challenge or as a reminder that we must always take no thought of those thoughts that try to come through the left side in and of itself. A reminder that we must always draw from the right side. Now, look in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. And it says there, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So it came to Cain's lower left side to kill his brother, just like the lower thoughts come into our awareness to go by what those thoughts are dictating to us rather than drawing from the right side. And you know, when that happens and you're drawing from the left side, you're drawing from death itself. Yes, yes, yes. See, yes. because Cain is the left side in and of itself, and it constantly tries to rise up and cause us to think from the left side yes. and to squelch the thoughts that come from the divine side, yeah. the right side. Now, listen to verse 14 of chapter 4. Cain says, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone, now listen to this, everyone, this shows in its allegory, right. that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. It only takes one. <laughs> but everyone wow. that findeth me shall slay me. Yeah. Wow. This shows its allegory. Because yeah. it only takes one to slay him. But Cain says, everyone. You know what that yeah, shows me? Allegorically, everyone needs to slay Cain. Yeah. Allegorically, that's what it means. Amen. Every one of us needs to slay Cain. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Again, we're always going to have that left side. Now, we could liken Cain to the cart. That is so good. And Abel to the horse. Uh oh and most religious people have the car before the horse. Yeah. <laughs> we need the horse before the car. Abel has got to leave. Abel has got to leave. The keeper of the sheep. We must be the keeper of our divine thoughts. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. Look at Genesis 6 verse 1. Let's switch this up a little bit now. All right, now switch it up. See, now listen, just as, as it takes a man and a woman to birth natural children, so as I said earlier, we're always going to have the left side, the wife, that must submit and yield to the husband. Yeah. Otherwise, there's not going to be any birthing. Right. 
There's not going to be any birthing of the fruit of the Spirit of, right. of the Christ nature that we are. Now, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, look what it says here, talking about the sons of God coming in to, unto the daughters of men. And I remember I heard that taught as angels coming in and cohabiting with the daughters of men yes. and producing these giants in the land, hogwash. There's no way that that's what that is talking about. Do you ever hear that kind of teaching? Yes. Of these, these verses? Yes. So let's read it, Genesis 6, verse 1. And we can see the allegory. And it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And then in verse 4, jump on down to verse 4, there were giants in the earth. There already were giants yep. in those days. Yep. And also after that, after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. In other words, what this is saying is that the sons of God represent the thoughts of the right side, the spiritual side, and daughters as well as women and wife, anything that pertains to female in the scriptures you can apply to the lower emotions. Wow. So in other words, the sons of men representing the right side, the spiritual side, came in unto the daughters of men, which represents the emotions. So let me say it this way. When you bring the God thoughts of the right side, the east, over to the emotions that are trying to come through the left side, then the two will become one, and those emotions will be spiritualized. They won't be in and of themselves, just fleshly emotions. But when you bring the emotions and try to bring the emotions into the right side, you're going to have a mess. And this is where all the rules and the regulations came. You know, I believe there's been many moves of God that would have lasted a lot longer had not the emotions, the fleshly emotions, got involved in it. But the fleshly emotions from the left side began to try to take the credit for it. And had they taken the thoughts of the right side and joined them with this, the emotions that tried to rise up and take the credit for it, then perhaps some of those moves of God would have lasted a lot longer and more people would have been healed and blessed through them. Yes. But man took the glory for man it. Man took the glory. And because man took the that glory, so it came to an end. So what we have to do, this is real, this, what we must do, what we must do is bring the spiritual aspect over into the left side intercourse with the virgin consciousness. And when the seed, word, quicken sperma is brought over to our left side and is conceived in the virgin consciousness, the two become one subjectively. And remember, they're already one objectively, but subjectively in a walk they become one. And you won't have any of the rules and the regulations and the, and the legalism and the, you know, the moves of God maybe stop before time. But there'll be a balance. Amen. There'll be a harmony. Mm -hmm. There'll be delight. Amen. Exactly what Eden means. There'll be all of those things that God 
God destined for us concerning spiritual life. Now, the next evolvement that we see after that is in, Gen I'm going to quit with this, Genesis chapter 6, and it's Noah and the ark. And we know that Noah means rest. And it's where one gets baptized in the waters of Noah. And we come into rest. Rest from what? Yourself. <laughs> oh! We need rest from ourselves. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> where the left side is concerned. That is so good, Kay. Now, again, let me mention the five levels of consciousness that the Greeks had. They had earth, earthly thoughts. Water, being baptized. Baptizing the earthly thoughts into the water. That's exactly what we have here with Noah. That's exactly what we have. It represents the evolvement of our consciousness from earthly thoughts to the water, representing the word, to the air, where we take no thought of the lower thoughts, to the fire, the sun, moon, and stars, where we draw our energy from the heavenly, that which is in the heavenlies, and that constitutes the Christ mind. Now let me say this one more time, and I've, I've said this through Al, off and on throughout this series, that earth, the earthly thoughts, represents beta, B-E-T-A, and it's where you are thinking 26 thoughts per second. That's a lot of thoughts. That's the earth realm. Ever go to bed at night and you can't shut off your mind? Your, your lower thoughts, I should say, not your mind, because you only have one mind. The water is alpha, and that's 14 cycles per second. When you get those lower thoughts baptized in the water of the word, you're beginning to slow those thoughts down yes. to 14 cycles. The air where you take no thought is theta. That's really what we want. It's eight cycles. See how you're slowing down? Yeah. Taking no thought? And then the fire is delta, and that's four cycles per that second. And that's the fullness of the Christ mind. That's when you really, really, in the truest sense of the word, are resting. And that's the story of Noah's Ark. Every dimension of the Ark. When they brought in the animals, most people don't realize they didn't just bring in unclean animals. They brought in clean animals. What are you talking about? You're talking about the left thought, sided thoughts, and the right side thoughts. That's what you're talking about. So all of this, everything in Genesis, I don't care if we look at Jacob, we've already looked at Jacob, and Joseph, every one of them, gives us an allegorical story of our involvement of consciousness. It's all happening within us. So in closing, let me say it one more time. What is salvation to you tonight? I did a post on this a few, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. What is salvation? Is a walk in the green mile and confessing your sin and Jesus is going to somehow jump on the inside of you? What is it? Is it just for spirit? What is salvation? Sozo. Soteria. It's to be whole. It's health. It's deliverance. And we came here that way. But then we embraced religion and we needed some deliverance. We embraced religion and we forgot who we were. Right. And so we needed to execute yes. Amen. the salvation in our lives. Amen. Not by walking the green mile and confessing Jesus as Savior and confessing our sin. Not by that, but by awareness. By yes. having our awareness. When 
embraced, his resurrection revealed the truth that had always been the truth about us. Yes. And resurrection means, it has several meanings, yes. to rise up and advancement. It means to gather our faculties. Amen. And it means the discovery of spiritual truth. Yes. Yeah. I love that one. Amen. The discovery of spiritual truth. It's not something, remember I used to say, the Wright brothers did not invent the law of lift. They discovered it. Right. You discover salvation. Yes. Amen. You discover salvation. Hallelujah. It's something that you have always had and then we lost it when we embraced Amen. religion. So what is salvation? It's not just salvation of spirit. Not just salvation of what some people call soul, and that's fine. The feminine principle. It's not just salvation of the left side. It's salvation of the body as well. Amen. We have whole man salvation yes. spirit and soul and body. Second Thessalonians 5.23 in the Amplified says that we have been sanctified, I can say saved, consecrated through and through spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Amen. But we forgot that. Right. So now we have to be reminded. And do you know that in the Old Testament, I think it's in Psalms, it talks about the whole earth is going to remember. The whole earth. The whole earth is going to remember. The whole earth here, yes. the whole earth out there yes. is yes. going to remember. Amen. Even the earth, yes. even the sun, yes. the moon, the stars, yes. all of creation and the natural is going to yes. remember. Yes. And as we can draw from the right side and see the whole earth full of the glory of God instead of bitching. Oops, sorry. Didn't oh, say no. Instead of complaining yep. and grumping and griping about how bad things are. I, I just spent a couple of days with, with Lori, my daughter, in, uh, in Michigan this week. And we were talking about kids and how, you know, they can complain and so forth. And uh, this is what she said. She said, when my daughter, one of my daughters, right now she's going through a phase where she's just kind of obnoxious. And uh, she's smarting off to her mom and stuff. And she said, well, I think I'm just going to report you, the daughter. I'm going to report you. This is abuse. She said, go ahead, I'll give you the number. I'll just give you the number. But let me tell you what will happen. You'll go from foster home to foster home to foster home. And then she gave an example of what happens to the women over in Afghanistan. Yes. She never brought up again the fact that I'm going to call and report you. Yeah, and what, why did I say that? I simply said that because Christians, Christians, to me, are the biggest complainers yes. about the government, yes. about what's happening in the world. Yes. And I told you last week, if you want to get an argument going very quickly, yes. talk about religion, politics, 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 or COVID. Yes. And the shot. Have you taken the shot or not taken the shot? You'll get an argument going really quickly. It's sad. You know why? People have not turned within. They haven't turned within and allowed spirit to speak to them concerning who they are and what they have, what they possess. And so what is salvation? Well, we already have it. It's not just spirit. It's not just the feminine part. It's even our bodies. And as I said earlier, if we have blockages anywhere in our physical body, specifically in the energy fields that will unblock other blockages in the organs of our body, if we have 
energy that is not flowing. It's blocked energy. And I could go into a lot of things about that. But if we have any blocked energy, if our pituitary, which is the third eye, I know that's new agey to people, but it's in the scripture. If the pituitary that makes the melatonin, that kills cancer cells, that reverses the aging process, and I could go on and on, can swallow up blockages in the heart at some point, that's what the melatonin can do. So if our pituitary and if our pineal has not been activated, as the energy has gone all the way from the bottom to the top, then we could have a whole lot of physical problems out here in our physical bodies. And so that's why I'm saying that salvation of the body is connected with the energy fields being opened and the energy flowing. And that's all I have to say about that. That's, that's a lot. That's a mouthful right there because most Christians, most, the majority of Christians will say, that's new age. I had someone the other day that saw the picture on my Facebook page of the new book that we have. She said, oh, that looks new age to me. Just by looking at the cover. A flower and a rock. <laughs> that looks new age to me. You know what I did? I deleted it. <laughs> it didn't take me long to delete when people put negative comments on. They don't a whole lot, but occasionally I just delete them. You know what I say about Facebook? If I read something on Facebook that I disagree with, if I can't say something nice, I ain't saying nothing at all. <laughs> if I can't be nice, I ain't going to do nothing. There's a scroll button. There's a scroll button for that. Did God create the rock and the flower? Well, I would imagine it. <laughs> God did create the rock and the flower. But you know, people judge by appearances. That's the problem. That's the left sided of judging by the way it looks, the way it feels. Seeing the eye, hearing the ear, rather than judging the righteous judgment, the right side. All right. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our spirit that is conceiving and quickening that word within us. That we can walk and we can experience this subjectively, the involvement of our consciousness. That we can draw from the east, from the right side, consistently. And we can experience delight, harmony, love, health, everything that we already are. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of the Lord. Amen.